some years ago, and uh, had to do has to do with you know love and all that good stuff, and it's called Valentine's Day, and I had the uh, opportunity to minister at a church in Homewood that Sunday morning, and uh, this past week Pastor Daryl uh, felt like it would be wise to have me prepared, so he asked me to uh, just go ahead and plan on preaching this weekend, and. Uh, so the Lord direct, directed my attention to that particular message that I'd shared, only we, he revised it a little bit. And I want to let you kind of in on that particular message that he shared with me. And uh, the message is basically in, is entitled, Set Free to Trust. Set Free to Trust. And it deals with the issue of love. But I want to share with you four kind of interesting ways of looking at the word love and what that really means. And I, uh, I found out that there are 644 references to the word love in the Scripture. Apparently it's a topic that God thinks highly of and uh, used it many, many times to remind his people of uh, just who he's all about. Now, we're going to get to John chapter 15 in just a few moments, but uh, I've been involved in ministry now for about 37 years, and I've discovered something. There are basically two types of people. Some of you have heard this before, so bear with me, but uh, I still think it's true. There are dog people, and there are cat people. And that pretty much sums it up. The dog people are wonderful. How do I know that? I have an excerpt from a dog's diary. 8 a.m., dog food, my favorite thing. 9.30 a.m., car ride, my favorite thing. 9.40 a.m., walk in the park, my favorite thing. 12 o'clock, oh, I'm sorry, 10.30, got rubbed and petted, my favorite thing. 12 o'clock, lunch, my favorite thing. 1 p.m., played in the yard, my favorite thing. 3 p.m., wagged my tail, my favorite thing. 5 p.m., milk bones, my favorite thing. 7 p.m., played ball, my favorite thing. 8 p.m., wow, watch TV with the people, my favorite thing. 11 p.m., sleeping on the bed, my favorite thing. You see, dogs just love everything. The dog people that come to church love everything about church. They love the pews. They love the carpet. They love the worship. They love the announcements. They love the sound people. They love the ushers. They love, every, they love anybody that's preaching. They don't even care. They, just, they come to church just going... <laughs> And they're so excited because it's just, it's their favorite thing. Every aspect of it, it's their favorite thing. And then the cat people come. <laughs> Excerpts from a cat's diary entitled, My Struggle. Day 983 of my captivity. My captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangling objects. They dine lavishly on fresh meat, while the other inmates and I are fed hash or some form of dry nuggets. 
Although I make my contempt for the rations perfectly clear, I nevertheless must eat something in order to keep up my strength. The only thing that keeps me going is the dream of escape. In an attempt to cause them to be disgusted, I once again vomited on the carpet. <laughs> Today, I decapitated a mouse and dropped its headless carcass at their feet. I had hoped that this would strike fear into their hearts, since it clearly demonstrates what I am capable of doing. However, they merely made condescending comments about what a good little hunter I am. There was some sort of assembly of accomplices tonight. I was placed in solitary confinement for the duration of the event. However, I could hear the noises and smell the food. I overheard that my confinement was due to the power of allergies. I must learn what this means and how to use it to my advantage. Today, I was almost successful in an attempt to assassinate one of my tormentors by weaving around his feet as he was walking. I must try this again tomorrow, but at the top of the stairs. <laughs> I am convinced that the other prisoners here are flunkies and snitches. The dog receives special privileges. He is regularly released and seems to be more than willing to return. He is obviously mentally challenged. The bird has got to be an informant. I observe him communicating with the guards regularly. I'm certain he reports my every move. My captors have arranged protective custody for him in an elevated cell. And so he is safe for now. Cat people. Now, I'm, I apologize to those of you that love cats, and I know there are many of you. But life is all about them. The, people that come, the, the cat people that come to church are complainers and whiners. <laughs> See? <laughs> they liked things their way. They wanted a certain way. And it has to be that way. Otherwise, they complain. I mean, these are the people that edit the bulletin during the message. They find the mistakes. Then they call the office and, you know. Or, you know, they're the people that are, some of you are sitting there going, oh, no, not Pastor Fred again. He was just here like two weeks ago. Why do we have to tolerate this? I'm sorry, you know. But you see, life, life is about understanding what it is that God has placed into us, and the most powerful thing that he gives us is his love. It's God's love. It's not about, you know, analyzing everything and complaining or, or loving or, all, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's about recognizing what it is that, has, that, that causes God to love us so much that he was willing to send his son. It's an incredible truth. And uh, I want us to look at John 15 and, and just get a feel for this concept and this amazing word called love. I have four things about love that I want to talk to you about. And um, I, uh, I, in the process of, of looking at, at different aspects of love and so on, and uh, at the time I was looking at Valentine's Day and I found this amazing quote that said, I do not understand why Cupid was chosen to represent Valentine's Day. When I think of romance, the last thing on my mind is a short chubby toddler coming at me with a weapon. <laughs> so, you know, there's just a lot of things in life that don't seem to make a lot of sense. But one thing I can assure you this morning is the love of God is amazing. 
It is so powerful. And Jesus, as he's sharing with his disciples in John chapter 15, he continues on with his discussion in verse number 9, and I want to begin there. And he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Now, my, my purpose in sharing with you this morning is for you to understand that the love of God has been given to you, not for you to hold on to and hoard, but rather to give away. The love of God is something that the more you give it away, the more you will receive. The less you give away, the less you will receive. It's a very simple economic plan that God has. This in a couple of weeks, we're having the Ascension Convention, and one of the things that I want to accomplish this morning is to encourage you to sign up to become a part of that. Whether it's for one hour or the entire event, my goal is to encourage you today to express the love of God that is in you out to a group of teenagers that desperately need to know that God loves them. You see, part of the whole process of why we are still on the planet, have you ever wondered why it is that when God saved you, he didn't just immediately take you to heaven? That would have been a lot simpler. Amen? No more temptation, no more issues. That if God, at the moment of salvation, just would instantly take us away, uh, the challenge would be having churches. That would be difficult because there wouldn't be any Christians around. But God leaves us here because our function, I believe that our function on this planet is to create an environment in which the love of God can touch the lives of other people. It's through God's kindness that people are brought to repentance. You know, you, going to your neighbor's house with the Bible and beating them on the head and saying, you're going to split hell wide open if you don't change your ways, is not effective. It's not going to work. But to create the environment in which the love of God is comfortable and that people are drawn to you and you are able to speak life into them, and that's what the Ascension Convention is about. And that we are a part of that. We will, as you come, you will begin to create the environment in which the Spirit of God will be able to minister to these young people. You know, we will become, not only are we going to create the environment of love, but we will create a wall of protection against the enemy's onslaughts into that hotel that day. Do you realize that that's part of what you do? As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, 
You not only create an environment for the love of God, but you create protection against the enemy. He will not be welcome there. We will build a hedge, an army, bound by love, standing against the enemy. And we will, as, as a group, be able to say, you know what, you're not welcome here, hit the road, get lost. These young people this weekend are ours. And God is going to change some lives. That's going to be amazing. Now, the word love, I think, means four basic things. Number one, it means that we have to leave and cleave. It's an old little phrase that we use in marriage counseling and so on, but it's this idea of leaving. I have to separate myself from everything else when I'm going to love something. I give, I give myself to loving and focusing on one particular, in this case, in my case, it was an individual. I think of my wife, Linda, 37 years ago, not quite, 36 plus. She came down the aisle of a church, and I watched her walk down the aisle. And as she was walking down the aisle, we were engaged for two years. I was finishing school, and so that seemed like the, the longest two years of my life, waiting for the opportunity to finally... Uh, take her as my wife. We saw each other once a month, uh, obviously called and wrote, but uh, so uh, before the days of computers and email and all of that, so we did uh, snail mail and etc. But that, the day finally came when she walked down the aisle uh, in this amazingly beautiful white dress and, and the whole regalia of the wedding and so on, but at that moment, that was the happiest day of my life. It was the most amazing day because I realized that I was, she was coming into my life as the one and only true love of my life. Now that day was also a dark day and a, and a, and a depressing day for hundreds of women who realized that I was leaving the dating pool. All right, fine. Two girls were upset. You men understand what I'm saying, right? It was a dark day that day. But for me, it was an awesome day. Because I was leaving all others for one. And I want, to, I want you to see a parallel here between marriage and also this idea of loving God. Because you see, when you bow your knee and you tell Jesus Christ that you, are, you accept his death on the cross as payment for your sin, and you say, Jesus, I will, I'm going to love you and you alone, there are no other gods. There are no other Allahs. There are no other Buddhas. There are no other kings. There are no other commanders. There are no other leaders. There are no other masters. You say, away with everything but Jesus. And God alone. God alone. And you see, once you understand that, the power of God's love begins to just overwhelm you. And you go, wow. And the relationship begins. As Linda and I went through the reception and honeymoon and all that stuff, the relationship began. And I, I, wanna, I thank God today that I can say, there was never a time in my life when I wanted anyone else. You see, for some people, they go through struggles and issues and problems and da 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 But the beautiful thing is that God 
is able to help us understand that his love covers a multitude of sin. And God is all about building relationships with us. I don't care what you've done. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Because you see, the Lord God says, if you'll confess, just acknowledge, I blew it, God. I made a mistake. I've had to tell Linda a time or two, or three or four, I'm sorry. Maybe that was per day, I can't remember now. But to say that I'm, you know, that I'm sorry, please forgive me, that's all God wants to hear. And his love then begins, then flows right back in. But you understand that love means leaving everything else. No compromise. God alone. God alone. And Jesus here in, 15, in, in chapter 15, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. You know, it's not, Jesus doesn't have, you know, a whole bunch of dads. He's got one. And we need to understand that we need to have one Savior, one Lord, one Master. It's an amazing thing. It's great. It's a great way to live. Secondly, Jesus talks about obedience. He says that love requires us to obey he says in verse 10, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Do you understand? There's something about obedience that is very powerful. It deals with the issue of respect. Amen? How many of you obey people that you respect? And how many of you Try to finagle around people that you disrespect. Amen, right? Yeah. I mean, it's the way we do it. Do you understand that the reason that many people do not accept Christ is because of this issue of obedience? You mean I, I can't have my own way anymore? No. No, that part's over. You have to obey Christ. And I've discovered something that in my marriage relationship with Linda, if I, if I am obedient, if I obey her and if I honor her, and if I love her and cherish her, that life is fantastic. And she will in turn respect me, which is totally cool. You know, what's the old thing? Uh, we get, we, uh, something about we get respect the old-fashioned way, we earn it. I believe that God has earned our respect. I believe that he has. And this issue of respect is, an, is very, very important, and we need to understand it, because out of, out of obedience comes this idea of respect. The reason Satan is no longer anywhere in heaven is because of disobedience and disrespect. God said, you're out of here, and a third of the angels went with him. The reason that the angels that remained are there is because they still honor, they honor God, they respect God, and they obey God. Don't tell me that you love someone, but you refuse to respect them or obey them. You see, it, it can't work without that sense of obedience, without that sense of love, and out that, without that sense of respect. And so I, uh, I believe that that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. And he brings it up a couple of times. 
Um, I have told you this so that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Uh, and he goes on and talks about uh, the word command comes up again in verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. And uh, you did not choose me, I chose you. And then at the very end, verse 17, this is my command, love each other. He uses that word command. It's out of this sense of respect. It's out of a sense of obedience, and that's where it comes from. To love someone means that I respect them and I do my best to obey them. It's the process. The third thing I see in here is the issue of a vow. A vow. What is a vow? What is a vow? Let me read for you the wedding vows that I use periodically. This uh, particular one comes from a, a wedding renewal, a renewal of vows. And it says this, Will you continue to have this woman to be your wedded wife, to live together after God's ordinance in the holiest state of marriage? Will you continue to love her, comfort her, honor, respect, keep her in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, commit yourself only to her as long as you both shall live, Answer, I will. And then the, uh, the wife repeats the same thing. Then they join hands and repeat these words, I, so-and-so, take you, so-and-so, to continue being my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and cherish until death alone separates us according to God's holy ordinance, and thereto I pledge you my love. You see, a vow is the same thing as what? A promise. It's a promise. A very powerful promise. And I'm, I'm excited today because I realize that Jesus has made some promises to us. Notice what he says in chapter 14 of John. Look at this. Uh, this is a vow that Christ has made to us. Verse 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Notice, this is an amazing promise. Look at it. I am going there to prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me. Now, does that sound at all like vague to you? It sounds very clear to me. Jesus has left. He is preparing a place for us. He's coming back again to take us where he is. That's not a hope so. That's not a maybe. That's not a, you know, well, you know, Jesus isn't saying, well, you know, he's talking to his disciples. Well, guys, you know, things are tough, and I'm gonna, I'll am gonna, i do my best. I'll, you know, see what I can work out. You know, I'm going to be dying soon. I'll be going to the Father, and then, you know, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll try to get you in. You know, I no guarantees, but I'll work on it. You know, I just... I, Kind of up to dad. I mean, you know, I'm not sure what all is going on up there, and you know, I'll, I'll do my best. You know, I can't promise anything. 
Well, how encouraging would that have been? Oh, great. Thanks, Jesus. Made us follow you for three years, and this is the best you got? I mean, come on. No, he said, I am going, and I will return. And then his final words as he, uh, as he is about to send into heaven. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus, didn't, Jesus never spoke in vague terms. He never said, well, maybe, you know, I'm hoping, you know, this might work. No, he was very distinct, very direct. He said, this is the way it's going to be. I promise you. I, I vow to you that's what's going to happen. The end of Matthew, the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. And then he says, behold, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. So when the devil comes to you and lies to you and tells you all about uh, all this stuff about, well, you know, I, you know it's, this is going to work out and, you know, the, the world's going to end and it, there's, there's, there's no heaven. What are you talking about? You know, there's no, I, you know, I was thinking about this last night. Uh, when you're, if you're in class and you're taking a test, now the person giving the test normally sits there quietly, right? The teacher is always silent during the test. There's a neat little parallel there with God. How many of you have ever been through a test and it seemed like God was quiet? Lord, where are you? Shh, you're in a test. Well, I don't want to be in this test. Well, just do it, get through it, and we'll take care of it. But you see, now how many of you have ever sat next to a kid in class that you knew was not... Captain Moral, you know, basically a liar. And if the liar would lean over and say, uh, hey, I, I have the answer to number two, I think I'd immediately say, shh, I don't, wanna, I don't want that answer. You're a liar. Be quiet. Because, see, the devil comes to us during tests, and he begins to try to give us answers. And they are wrong answers. They are lies. Because that's all he can come up with. He will tell you that you know God really doesn't love you. He really doesn't care about you. He's going to leave you in this test. He's going to leave you in this mess. It's never going to get any better. It's just going get, to keep getting worse. And it's pointless for you to continue to follow after him. It's a lie. An absolute lie. How do I know that? Because I've read God's promises. I've read God's love letter. I know how God feels about me. I know what God thinks about me. I understand that there are times when I'm going to go through a test and it may seem like it's never going to end, but it did end. It came to an end, and I was stronger and better and more committed and more dedicated, and I loved God even greater at the end of that test than before it. God's about establishing your character. Do you see, how many of you... Made it, were able to pass from one grade to the next and never took a test. Some of the homeschoolers maybe, but not even them. You have to take a test to get to the next level. It doesn't work any other way. God will not, God's not going to just mainstream you through. There will come a test in your life. It may be a physical issue. It may be emotional. It may be mental. It may be relational. It may be financial. But there's a test that comes. 
And when it comes, you simply say, God, help me with this test. Because your promises are true. I know you love me. There's another aspect to this love as well. How many of you have have or had children? I love what one lady said. I can handle any crisis. I have children. Sometimes the most loving thing that we can do to a child is spank them. Now, I know I'm going to get in big trouble for this, but whatever. But it's to discipline them. The most loving thing that you can do at times is to discipline a child. God said it. Spare the rod and spoil the child. The people that God loves, he disciplines. He he wants you to be stronger. Can you imagine the life of a child if the parents would never discipline them? I've met some of those children. Some of them are television personalities. They're called super nanny children. Those are scary people. No discipline. It's the most unloving thing you can do to a child to let them make decisions they're not capable of making. But God, thank you, Dad. Thank you, Father. That you you sometimes bring us into a testing time to make us stronger, more powerful than we could ever imagine. His vows of love are amazing to us, and they, they come over and over again. The final step, or the final word that I want to share with you, is love extends itself. Love leaves and cleaves to one. Love is obedient. Love obeys. Love makes vows that take us to the grave. I've I've never had a couple, thank the Lord, come to me and say, you know what, we'd like you to change those vows, and instead of till death do us part, uh, we just want to say, as long as we love each other. I said, no way. I'm not going to do that. You could fall out of love before you get to the back of the church. You may not even make it to the reception and stay in love. I'm not doing that. No, it's till death do you part. The beautiful thing about a vow with the Lord is that at death we are are united until death unites us. That's God's vows. They're great. The final word is extend. Love extends. It reaches out. It touches other people's lives. In Luke chapter 10, there's a story of a man, the Good Samaritan. There were other men that decided not to extend themselves and not to reach out and not to get involved, but this one man did. He saw this man beaten, left for dead, and the Samaritan stopped, and he reached down. He saw this individual. He reached down and he got involved. He got bloody, he got dirty. It cost him time and energy. It was expensive. It's expensive to extend yourself to someone else. It costs, it can cost a lot. I'm asking you today to become a good Samaritan to a thousand plus teenagers. I'm asking you to consider Loving as you have been loved by the Lord.
I'm asking you to, to take one of these small sign-up sheets. And if you fill it out today and put it in the box, that would be wonderful. But if not, I'm going to ask you to take one. I'd like every single person in here to take one of these. And I'm asking you to take it home and put it somewhere where it's visible. Don't leave it in your Bible. You won't see it again until next Sunday, so I'm kidding. Place it somewhere where it's very obvious, very visible. And as you walk by it, I'm going to ask you to do one simple thing. Lord, what do you think? What should I do? I can give them a couple of hours. I can be there the whole weekend. I could greet. I could stand at the escalator and make sure the right people go up and down and stand at the elevator. I could be an usher. I could, I could be in the prayer room and meet kids as they come in and maybe help pray with them. Maybe you can't. Maybe your job or whatever doesn't allow you to actually be on the, on the property at the hotel. But I want you to take this home and then say, Lord, I will pray for these times. And I will lift up the name, I will lift up the convention, the speakers, the kids, the musicians, the tech people, everybody. I will pray. But I want every one of us to take one. Hopefully there's enough, but I'd like everyone to take one of these and become the Samaritan. Extend yourself to the life of a teenager. I've been doing this ascension now for 25 years. I was at the very first one. I've been at, I'm pretty sure I've been at every one of them. And I stand there at the registration, and so I watch every one of these teenagers come through those doors. I see things that are amazing, just frightening. I see outfits that should not be. I smell things that should not be smelled. I hear things, noises that I'd just as soon not hear. I'm almost 58 years old. I don't need this. But until God says, you're done, I'll probably be there another 25 years. But you see, to step out of my comfort zone, to extend myself into the life of a teenager, that I, I, I don't know them, I probably won't get to meet them, I may never see them again, but you see, coming through the doors of that hotel could be a young person that will find the cure for cancer. Could be the person that will become president and actually direct our country back to God. Could be a senator, a representative, a doctor, a lawyer, a great evangelist equal to Billy Graham. I don't know that. And God, in his amazing sense of humor, will probably have the weirdest-looking kid there be the most amazing Christian ever. But you see, the love of God says, extend yourself. Do something that you've never done before and see if I won't make a difference in your life. Do you know when the anointing comes? It never comes when we're standing doing nothing. The anointing of God comes when I reach out and touch 
someone that needs the anointing. The teenagers that are coming through the doors of that hotel in a couple of weeks are going to need the anointing. I thank God I am not a teenager. And there are a lot of other people that pray the same thing. Thank God Pastor Fred is not a teenager. Hallelujah. Because what I faced when I was a teenager is nothing compared to the onslaught from hell that attacks the lives of these kids. Some of them may come in walking under their own power, but they have been beaten and left on the side of the road emotionally, spiritually, maybe relationally. And brothers and sisters, we can be the Good Samaritan that will stop and lift them up and say, come with me. I know an altar where we can get some of these wounds fixed. I know a place where somebody will take care of you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. I thank you for my precious brothers and sisters here. I thank you, Father, that you, by your Holy Spirit, are laying it upon their hearts. You are loving them into service. Father, we're going to have, I believe, God, we'll have plenty of volunteers this year to serve these kids. For, Father, it's time. Maybe we've never done anything like this before, but it's time. It's time to follow your command and to love one another. In Jesus' name we pray it. And everyone said, Amen.